0: All right, well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our uh, preaching service here at Keith the Heights Baptist Church, and it's really good to have some more people in the auditorium today, and I hope that maybe by next Sunday we'll have even more folks come back, and I want to encourage you in that. We're going to sing a song together today to start the service, number 212 in our songbooks. Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, and uh, if you know the words, you can follow along with us. or if you want to look up the words at home, you can follow along as well and sing with us. Number 212, we'll sing
1: all four verses. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow No other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus For my pardon this I see Nothing but the blood of Jesus For my cleansing this my plea Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. All <coughs> oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And uh, we're going to open in a word of prayer here in just a minute. But uh,
0: having sung that uh, that song this morning, this is all my hope and peace—nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness—nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, Saturday in our morning time together yesterday morning, we were in Psalm 24, and I love Psalm 24. Uh, I love all of them. Every time I get to one, I am like, boy, I love this one. This is a good one, and they're all good, aren't they? And uh But I love this. I want to read to you a little bit uh, from the psalm, and then we'll pray together. The Bible says in verse 1, "...the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it on the water, upon the waters. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord." The righteousness and the righteousness from the God of His salvation. You know, I got to thinking on this yesterday, and I shared it with the folks that tuned in. The only people that are going to be able to be in the hill of the Lord are those that have clean hands and a pure heart. And the truth is, none of us qualify. Those that have not lifted up themselves to vanity, and none of us qualify. But he says this in verse 5, "...he shall receive the blessing from the Lord." and righteousness from the God of His salvation. I'm thankful that God gives us His righteousness, aren't you? All of the wrath of God was poured out on His own Son in payment for our sin on the cross of Calvary. I believe some of the greatest suffering our Savior had to do was not a physical suffering, but a suffering of bearing the sins of mankind. To take a holy God who cannot tolerate sin and to take all of our sin and place it upon Him could we imagine the, the absolute uh, unbelievable price that that was for him to pay? And then he says, when he, when he rose from the dead, in fact, the Bible said this about Abraham, that he had faith and he counted it, he imputed it onto his uh, account, as uh, his own righteousness, uh, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ was imputed to, to Abraham because of his faith. It was given to him. And, and the idea that you and I can stand this morning before God With clean hands and a pure heart. Not because we've had them, but because our Savior covers us with His own precious blood. And it's His record that I have now. And man, I'll tell you what, I'm excited about that. If that doesn't make a Christian shout, I don't know what will. Uh, I'm thankful that God gives us His righteousness. Because the truth is, and the psalmist understood it, he said, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? We're not, we're, not going to, we're not going to qualify. We're not going to meet the requirements. But he says the God of our salvation will get His righteousness. And I thank the Lord for that. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what a song. Aren't you glad? Man, I love the old hymns. They've got good doctrine in them. And, uh, boy, I'm thankful for them. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer and we'll ask for the Lord's blessing on the service. Father, we're thankful for your word and how it cheers our hearts, how it guides and directs us. We're thankful for so many that are able to be here this morning. And pray that in the next uh, few days and weeks, as we uh, kind of come out of this uh, uh, quarantine period, that uh, you would make the fellowship even sweeter. And the time that's spent together, may we appreciate it even more. and Be more faithful and more committed to it that we would not miss an opportunity to gather together as your people around your word and to hear it preached, to sing the songs that uh, lift you up and that cheer our hearts and encourage us along the way, that edify us, that teach us doctrine and and encourage us in the faith. And then, Father, we do pray that you'll bless the service this morning. And, Lord, use the message to uh, help us. Lord, we are a needy people. And we recognize this morning that we cannot accomplish in our lives that which is wholly pleasing to you if it is not for your help, and if it is not for your strength and your guidance, the leading and the convicting of your Holy Spirit upon our hearts. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would bless and use the time we spend here together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, number 210, Saved by the Blood of the Crucified One. And uh, we only have, this is one of them songs you want to have a packed house when you sing it and a packed auditorium. But uh, so we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of us here. So we're going to see if we can lift the roof off of this place with our singing. But I'll tell you, I love this song. Uh, We get to the chorus, glory, I'm saved. Glory, I'm saved. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone What a song. Let's sing all four verses, number 210.
1: Saved by the blood of the Crucified One, now ransomed from sin and a new work begun. Sing praise to the Father and praise to the Son, saved by the the Crucified One. Glory, I'm saved! Glory, I'm saved! My sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone. Glory, I'm saved, glory, I'm saved, I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved by the blood of the Crucified One, the angels rejoicing because it is done. A child of the Father, joint heir with the Son, saved by the blood of the Crucified One. Saved, glory, I'm saved, my sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone. Glory, I'm saved. Glory, I'm saved. I'm saved by the blood of the Crucified One. Saved by the blood of the Crucified One. The Father, He spake, and His will it was done. Great price of my pardon, His own precious Son. Saved by the blood of the Crucified One Glory, I'm saved, glory, I'm saved My sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone Glory, I'm saved, glory, I'm saved I'm saved by the blood of the Crucified One Saved by the blood of the Crucified One. All hail to the Father, all hail to the Son. All hail to the Spirit, the great three in one. Saved by the blood of the Crucified One. Glory, I'm saved. Glory, I'm saved. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone. Glory, I'm saved. Glory, I'm saved. I'm saved by the blood of the Crucified One. Amen.
0: Boy, I'll tell you, isn't it good to be saved this morning? And uh, better than the alternative, amen? I'm thankful that we're saved this morning. Not by our merit, but by His grace. I've been doing some studying. Lord willing, we're going to be doing a series uh, here on the, I'm not sure if we're going to, we may do it on a Sunday morning. I may do it in the 11 o'clock hour. It's a very important series, that I believe uh, I've been doing some study on it, and getting some things ready for it, on the, the Word of Faith movement. And uh, is it is it biblical? If it is, we want to be a part of it. If it's not, we don't want to have anything to do with it. And we're going to be dealing with that subject uh, for several weeks, I imagine. And uh, I want to encourage you, when we get ready to do that, to uh, not miss any of them. Because there's something that is taught there that is very, very uh, damaging, if you will, in that uh, there is a an emphasis placed on the value of man to God. And while God chooses to value us, we really have no value to offer Him. Uh, There's no merit of our own. And this group that goes around and preaches a lot of prosperity gospel talk about how God is limited by man. God is at man's direction. God is at man's disposal. Can I tell you this? That is not the God that I serve. Uh, There is no merit that we have. And if we were to have value, I heard one of them as I was doing some of the studying and came across one of their videos, I heard one of them actually make the statement that, uh, that we were so valuable to God that it bankrupted heaven. And I thought, then where is God's grace in all of this? If we were worth that much, then God bought us because of our worth, not because of His grace. The truth is, we weren't worth anything. And God's grace was limitless. And uh, we're going to be dealing with some of those things and looking at, uh, is this a biblical movement? It's amazing to me how many people out of the pews of many good churches like ours are succumbing to this and going after and following the ways of this movement when it is so contrary to the Word of God. And uh, Lord willing here, uh, probably not next Sunday, but uh, Lord willing within uh, two weeks we'll be starting that series and want to encourage you to, to don't miss a week of it. It, it. It's going to be a biblical uh, view of it and uh, something that will be used to help warn us and encourage us and instruct us in some things. So I pray that, uh, that God will use it and uh, hope that you'll be faithful to it. Let's uh, take our song books again. Number 209. Number 209. Grace greater than our sin. We'll sing once again all four verses. And uh, number 209.
1: Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount, outpoured there, where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. <coughs> Within grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Sin and despair, like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace, pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow, you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see His face. Will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace. God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin,
0: amen. Thank you so much, Ms. Carmen, for playing the piano this morning, and uh, I've enjoyed the music this morning. I like it when it prepares your hearts and uh, gets us ready for the preaching, and uh, music does us well. You know... Uh, god God puts a good emphasis in his word on spiritual music. The largest book that he chose to put in our Bible was a book of songs and um, boy what a what a thought. God knew that it would speak to our hearts and encourage our souls. and um, there's an element of worship in music. I'm not afraid you know people talk about Praise and worship, and the stuff that they refer to is nothing near what the Bible refers to as praise or worship. But there's nothing wrong with worshiping God with music, and we thank the Lord for it. Genesis chapter number 39, if you will, and uh, we're going to be back in verses 7 through 9 again this morning. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I am. I, the more I study on Joseph, the more impressed I am with him. And not that we want to lift up a man, but we understand that God is doing a wonderful and a marvelous work through a young man. And if he can do it in Joseph's life, he can do it in any one of our lives. And he can make the same difference in your life as he can in the life of Joseph. And he can make the same difference in my life as he made in the life of Joseph. And I want us to look at these verses again. I know we just finished them in Sunday school. and dealing with some of the uh, character traits, some of the things that uh, Joseph held in high regard and valued, something that uh, he had previously purposed in his heart to know and to uh, have um, a reverence and a respect for. And uh, I want us to take a few moments this morning as we look at these verses and learn some lessons on how to deal with temptation. Bible says, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, he says, who will make a way of escape. He'll not put anything more on us, the Bible says, than we're able to bear. But he says, God is faithful who will make a way of escape. How do we deal with temptation? I think there's some lessons we can learn from Joseph in this area of uh, dealing with temptation. We uh, I've made the comment several times, and Um, even in last hour, in the Sunday school hour, the idea that we oftentimes uh, refer to getting into sin as falling into sin. And the truth is, every time we sin, it's a choice. Uh, Every time we sin, it is our prideful nature being selfish and saying, I want what I want, and we do it. And um, Satan knows this. And in fact, if you take time... Uh, to look at the way that Satan works in Scripture, you'll find that everything he does falls into one of two categories. He is um, not unique. He's not creative. He's done the same thing over and over and over and over again. And you would think that by reading about it and knowing what Satan does and how he targets us, that we would be watchful for it. But the truth of the matter is, it's amazing to me how many times in my life, and if you stop to think about it, how many times in your life we have succumbed to the temptations that Satan has given us. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, if you remember back there, when he tempted Eve in the Garden, the Bible says that when she saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes, the Bible says she took of the fruit, and the first thing that Satan always tries to do, and especially if he feels like he can get by with it, is he tries to make sin look really, really good. And we would use the word enticement. He tries to entice us. He tries to uh, uh, to uh, uh, make it look like it's better than the penalty will cost. And uh, when the Bible talks about uh, Eve and uh, when, uh, when uh, Satan had mentioned to her that, uh, that she would be like a god, knowing good and evil. Can I tell you this? The appeal to godhood has always been a downfall of human nature. Uh, there are denominations that uh, their entire denomination is wrapped up in the pursuit of becoming a god. Uh, there are, even as, as I've studied in the, the whole Word of Faith uh, movement, there is a a direction and a teaching that, that they believe you can become gods. Um, very, very important that we understand Satan's tactic. He tries to entice us. And by the way, you, you know how he entices us, and this will help us a little bit. He uses the human senses. The most prominent, he, he doesn't deal a whole lot with our taste, although there's a few things that he tempts us even with our taste. I think of people that get involved in alcoholism, and even though I believe that to be an acquired taste, uh, he puts a, a taste in their mouth, and there's a sense there that entices them and draws them back to it time and time and time again. Uh, same thing with smoking cigarettes. I believe there's a draw there that, that, the holy, uh, that uh, uh, Satan puts in, in their hearts and in their, in their senses where they physically have a pull to that. But the two biggest senses that Satan uses to entice us are our eye gate and our ear gate. What we see and what we hear. In fact, the Bible talks about Lot, who was a just man. It says that he just Lot vexed his righteous soul by seeing and hearing from day to day. When he lived in the area of Sodom and he saw the wickedness every day and he heard the wickedness every day, the Bible said it vexed his righteous soul. And uh, so he'll try to entice us. If we understand that's his tactic, then don't you think as Christians it would behoove us for us to get to the place where we guard, uh, absolutely guard, the things that come in through the eye gate and the things that come in through the ear gate? Does it matter the the things that we see? Does it matter the things that we hear? Um, I'm just going to say this in passing and and some people are going to dislike this and I I understand when I say it, they're going to dislike it. That's not why I'm saying it. I'm trying to show some things that I think are are part of Satan's tactics. But we had a lot of books donated to our church several years ago, a library of books that are religious books. And uh, they have been placed on a shelf over the last few weeks as we've had the coronavirus. uh, My son and I have been going through them. And uh, there are there are books that I could look at and say, okay, I know the author. He is not doctrinally sound. He may have some good points in there, but I cannot in good conscience endorse a book like that for somebody to read and see and to think those thoughts. It may misdirect them and guide them the wrong way. So we got rid of the book. And forgive me for this. I, I'm going to say it one time and ask your forgiveness, and then we're going to move on because I can't apologize for everything I say today. We don't have time for all of it. Uh, we threw them in the trash. And some people say, well, why don't you donate them? Why don't you give them? Because the... I, I don't want anybody else reading them. Why would I, in good conscience, want to cause somebody else to put something in their eye gate that's going to cause their thoughts to go a certain way that would be an error from God's Word? No reason to perpetuate that. No reason to pass that on to somebody else and let them have uh, some wisdom or discernment about the matter. Uh, just remove the problem. And so we've thrown them away. Uh, I will say this. We threw boxes away to keep a handful. And that's sad. That in the day we live, most of the religious material that's out there, that is coming out, especially stuff that's coming out new, uh, most of it is not usable for God's people. Satan uses the eye gate. He, the, the things on the media, the things you see going down the road, advertisements, billboards, uh, televisions, uh, things that just appeal to the eye. We're very visually oriented people in this day and age. Things that we listen to, uh, it makes a difference. They've done studies. They have outlawed certain practices with uh, regards to trying to affect the people's subconscious minds and uh, things that we don't even pay attention to, that they make an effect on us. And can I tell you that one of the most damaging things for a Christian is to lose their sense of, of, of being aware of what's going on around them and allowing things to come into the eye gate and ear gate and not thinking anything about that. Because Satan tries to entice. The second thing that Satan does um, is that he tries to pressure us or what the Bible refers to in Romans chapter number 12 as conforming to this world. And the idea of uh, with great pressure, uh, with great heat, with great intensity. Uh, Years ago, uh, when I was a kid, uh, I lived in Florida. We traveled up and down the Florida Turnpike uh, quite a bit, and they had these service plazas. And one of the things they did to uh, try to raise money for tourism and and people traveling, uh, you know, Florida was a tourist state, and almost everybody went down the Turnpike back then because 95 wasn't all the way through, and um, and so they'd go down the turnpike, and they'd stop at these service plazas, and they had these machines in there. And Brother Harold, you'll like this because they had molds, and they uh, they would come together, and they would melt hot wax, and they would inject this wax up into these molds, and uh, they would take two or three minutes. You put I don't know a dollar seventy-five cents something in there, and uh, it would take two or three minutes. It would inject it and make a, a wax mold of maybe a sailfish or. Um, a different thing, maybe a, a, um, one of the palm trees or or something like that. And you could collect these different things from service station to service station. And I used to love doing that. But I thought, as I read in Romans 12, about being conformed to this world, the idea of the the mold being used to make somebody fit into it uh, by pressuring, uh, I thought of that. And I thought, here this thing came together, and it took something that was pliable and it injected it up inside there. And when it cooled down and got hardened, it had taken on the form of that mold. Boy, can you think about that? When somebody that's on fire for the Lord, Satan puts the pressure and the screws to them and they begin to cool down. And it's not long before we take on the mold of the world. You say, where does that come in? Well, the Bible says that after Eve ate, it says that she gave also to her husband in two little words. That makes such a big difference with her. And he did eat. You know, you know, the problem with Adam and Eve was this. God had told Adam, you shall not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. You'll never find an account in Genesis where God told that to Eve. Now, he may have, but it's not in our Bibles. It's interesting to me that when Satan asked Eve if she could eat of every tree, that she said, thou shalt not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. I don't know this. But from the context of that, it sounds to me like Adam was the one responsible to teach his wife and tell his wife what God had said about the tree. And that he had said, don't even touch it, Eve. Let's not even get that close to it. The standard is, it's wrong to eat of it. But we're not going to get as close as we can. We're going to set a standard that is further back from the edge than where wrong is. By the way, that's a good principle, isn't it? We live in a day where people buck standards. They don't like standards. They say, well, it's not wrong. if You're telling me that I've got to have this standard. What we're saying is don't get to the edge. Don't Don't touch the fruit. Handle the fruit. Hold it and smell it. Lick it. You haven't eaten it yet. Why would you do that? Satan's going to tempt, isn't he? He's going to entice. And if he can't get you with enticement, then he pressures you. Eve had done it. Adam's standing right there. He knew, he knew it was wrong. He wasn't deceived. But because Eve did it, guess what Adam did? <laughs> In fact, he even tells God, the woman thou gavest me. <laughs> he almost tried to put... He did. He, he put the blame back on God, didn't he? He said, if you had never given me the woman, I would have never eaten the fruit. Satan uses two tactics. He always uses the same two tactics. And you would think after thousands of years of him succeeding over and over and over again, that we as God's people would learn his tricks and say, I'm going to watch out for it. But the truth is, we are still tempted and enticed. We're we're going to read Genesis 39. I'm I'm still, this is all preface, okay? Don't worry, the, the message is short. But turn with me to the book of James for a minute. The book of James. I want you to see something here. <coughs> Look with me in verse number chapter 1, verse number 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So we're not talking about... God tempting in the sense of He's testing our faith. But we're talking about an evil temptation. That's what it's referred to. The context of the passage explains to us that we're speaking here of evil temptation. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth He any man. Notice what it says here, verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is what? Drawn away of his what? Own lust, and what? Enticed. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You would think, with all the warnings of Scripture, that we as God's people would live a sinless life. Because, boy, we know these things and we ought to be able to guard against them. But the truth is, every single one of us still have a flesh that we have to fight Now, there are some things, look with me now, in Genesis chapter 39. We're going to read these three verses again that we used in Sunday school. And I want us to look at some things that Joseph did to resist temptation. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I want us to look at a couple things here. When it comes to temptation, one of the things that I believe is very, very important is that we deal... With past sin in our life, uh, I, I think this is very, very critical. Jacob or Joseph here has a very sensitive conscience, doesn't he? In fact, the last thing we said in Sunday school was that we need to be able to maintain and, and be be uh, actively involved in in continuing to um, encourage, if you will, or maintain a biblical conscience. The problem that we have in our society, many times today, is this: that we are surrendering our consciences. Uh, we quickly surrender them and get to a place where where we don't uh, we don't follow after a, a pure conscience. The Bible speaks. Paul told Timothy uh, that he was to have a pure conscience, to keep this conscience uh, well maintained. Uh, by the way, to help maintain a pure conscience. Uh, there's a couple things that need to happen. Number one, we need to respond to our conscience when it is active. Uh, and we need to respond appropriately. <laughs> the, the, the sad fact of the matter is, a lot of people respond with, with uh, offense, and maybe even bitterness, and maybe even arrogance to say, how dare that <laughs> convict me or bring uh, conviction to my heart? And I say that with sadness because the truth is... Uh, there are people that will leave a church simply because their heart kept getting pricked and it made them uncomfortable and they didn't respond appropriately. Now, I'm not out for a preacher to go out and just step on toes to make somebody mad in a service. I don't think that that ever ought to be the intent of the preacher. But I believe that we all ought to come into the doors of God's church house coming to God's Word with with a willing heart and an open heart saying, Lord, teach me Thy truth. I will walk in it. I will do what you tell me to do, and I will go where you tell me to go, and I will keep myself from things that you tell me to keep myself from. And if it pricks my heart, whether it be the pastor or a deacon or anyone in the church, we are responsible to respond appropriately to the conscience which in a Christian's life is ruled by the Holy Spirit of God. And we've got to get back to this. The second way that we maintain a pure conscience, besides uh, responding to it in a regular way, we need to make sure that we deal with the past sins of our life. And I mentioned this just a moment ago. Because I want you to understand this. That if, um, let's let's suppose that Joseph, 17 years old, red-blooded fellow, has a little temper on him. Has a little arrogance about him. Thinks that he knows it all. Knows better than dad. He goes to take care of his brothers. And all he does is grumble all the way. I can't believe dad sent me. He knows these brothers hate me. I don't know what dad's thinking sending me there. And he's got bitterness toward his dad. I can't believe it. Why in the world would my dad send me out here? All the way to Shechem. And then i got to go on down to Dothan. Oh, I can't believe I've got to do all this. And then he gets there. And His brothers. His brothers. Take him and throw him into a pit and take his coat of many colors. And he's sitting down there in the bottom of this cold pit, angry at his brothers. Boy, if I ever get out of here, you guys better get running because I'm coming after you. Boy, I'll give you a ten-second head start and then I'm coming right now. And then to add insult to injury, they sell him into slavery. Slavery. What could you imagine would have been Joseph's response when temptation came? if he had had past sin in his life. Because understand this, that every time we sin and do not deal with it, it becomes easier to sin the next time. You say, is it important for us to confess our sin to God after we are saved? Yes. Why else would the Bible tell us that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin? after we're saved. Why else would, would there be a need? We, we we need we need to we need to come to God on our past sins and make them right. Somebody said it this way, a preacher said it this way one time. Keep short records with God. Keep short lists. I've heard uh, preachers talk about the fact that when we get up in the morning or before we go to bed at night, we need to reflect on the day. And find out, Lord, where did I fail you today? And get that sin right. Because every time we sin and we do not deal with it, the next time becomes easier. And every time we do it, our conscience takes a hit. Every time. It begins to cool down. It begins to get it begins to get colder and colder and colder. Hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me in the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. We begin reading in verse um, verse number 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations... Notice this, and their foolish heart was what? Darkened. The conscience, constantly getting less and less and less. And changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also did what? He did what? He gave them up to uncleanness. Through the lust of their own hearts, there was no more conscience there. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth from God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this cause, not in the next few words here, God gave them up unto vile affections, no conscience. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat that was suitable for their. That the punishment fit the crime and should. Amen. Somebody needs to read this passage a lot more in the society we live in today. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, notice what it says here, third time, what did God do? He what? Gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy... Murder, debate, deceit, malignity, uh, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Boy, that's interesting. You read that list and you're like, wow, these are horrible sins. And then he puts in disobedience to parents. Horrible sin. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, death not only do the same, but notice this, have what? Pleasure in them. No conscience. Why? It all started with a sin that they didn't deal with. And it moved on to a greater sin. You know something I have found to be true in my life? If I don't deal with a sin, it loses the little bit of pleasure that it had. And the next sin has to be a little bit more. And then it loses its pleasure that it had. And then you've got to have a little bit more. And my friend, somewhere along the line, you've got to deal with it. How do we avoid the temptation? How do we deal with it when it happens? Because, by the way, it's going to come. The Bible says that Satan is as a roaring lion walking to and fro, seeking what? Whom he may devour. Why are we to take on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand the what? The wiles of the devil. It's going to happen. Let me ask you this. Do you think that a Christian who daily is mortified by his own sin and comes to God and says, God, I'm sorry and repents of it and says, I want to do better. And with your help and your grace, I'm going to, I'm going to not have these, these things in my life. Do you think Satan would rather tempt that guy or the guy who has been sinning and sinning and sinning and their conscience has been pricked and pricked and pricked and they've done nothing about it? Which one do you think Satan's going to attack more? The one he knows he can get a hold of. And more temptation comes. And greater temptation comes. And there is a need for God's people to understand conviction once again. We don't use that word a lot anymore. But there was a day when it was the conviction of God's Holy Spirit that moved Christians and caused them to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we look at conviction as a negative thing. Because we do not respond appropriately to it. We need to deal with past sin. Joseph was one who made certain that he kept a clean record with God. If there had been any bitterness, we didn't hear about it in Scripture, did we? If there had been any disobedience or dishonoring of his dad, we didn't hear about it in Scripture, did we? I'm not saying that Joseph was perfect and never had these thoughts. I'm saying that when he did, it bothered him. He made sure that he did better the next time. He spent time dealing with it with God. Secondly, I want you to notice that he had his heart stirred to the exceeding wickedness of sin. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 8. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, not what is with me in the house? He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife, how then? Can I do this? What are the next two words here? Great wickedness. Great wickedness. We live in a day, and we've preached on this before, but this is something we can learn from Joseph's life. When Joseph looked at wickedness or he looked at sin, he said it's not just a small sin. And, and by the way, we all have this, kind of, this, this, this idea or this tendency towards this, don't we? Anybody ever used the term or heard the term, well, it was just a white lie. What is that? A white lie. Well, that was a Christian cuss word. Wait a minute. What are we talking about here? Sin is sin. And it is wicked. In fact, the Bible teaches more than one occasion that as God's children, we are to abhor, not be disappointed in, not, not dislike, but we are to abhor that which is evil. We are to take the sin that sent my Savior to Calvary and look at it for the blackness and the wickedness that it is. And in and and the day we live, and folks, I believe we are living in the last moments of the last days. And there needs to be a revival of God's people saying there is a wickedness to sin and there is a righteous and a, and a godliness to living a holy life and a pure life and a life that when we commit the sin, we're so mortified by it that we come to God and say, Lord, I have failed you and there is a, there is a contrite and a broken spirit about it. Instead, we laud our sins. It's an, uh, unbelievable to me how... How we how we go about and we, we live and I I know I'm preaching to the choir so much this morning and I'll tell you this I, I'm not preaching down to anybody because your pastor fights the same battles you do, there is no difference. There's not a special dispensation that pastors or deacons or Sunday school teachers have where Satan just is hands off. Boy, I can't touch him. No, no, the temptations still come, don't they? For every single one of us. And if we're not careful, every single one of us can be prone to losing the wickedness and the sight of, of how black and wicked and condemning our sin is. You say, Brother Greg, that's hard. I don't like preaching like that. I'm not out to be offensive. I'm trying to get our attention for a minute because we've fallen asleep about this matter. There was a day when God's people knew the wickedness of sin and didn't need to be reminded of it. But we're living in a day where God's people need to be reminded. And that's a shame that we need to be reminded of how sinful sin is. (laughs) Jacob, or Joseph, is in a position away from mom and dad, away from his religious influence of home, and he's got every, from a worldly perspective only, he's got every capability of doing whatever he wants to do. And he gets put into a situation where not even his master would have known about it. And a woman comes to him and tries to commit adultery with him. And he didn't look at it and say, well, (laughs) it's not that bad because everybody's doing it. Let me tell you something. Unless you think that that only has happened in today's life, the Egyptian culture of that day was not not a godly culture. They didn't have a a big problem with multiple wives and and immorality. It was rampant in their society and their culture in that day. They didn't think twice about it. By the way, we're living in a time like that, aren't we? We're living in a time where even God's people will go out and do this. And Joseph had every right, 17 years of age, to go out and sow his wild oats and do what he wanted to do and not worry about it. But to Joseph... There was an exceeding, in what he calls here, a great wickedness to what this lady was proposing to him. Why? Because he understood the wickedness of sin. And can I tell you this, that perhaps because we have not maintained a biblical conscience, perhaps because we have not dealt with past sin. We are living in a day where sin is not sinful anymore. Our conscience is not pricked. It's easier to sin the next time around because we have sinned already and not not done anything about it. How do we deal with temptation? We need to deal with past sin. We need to make sure that our hearts are stirred regularly to understand the exceeding wickedness of sin. And the third thing we find here is that we need to be always, always aware of God's presence. Um, how many of you have gone through a valley, a trial, a burden? Any of you like that? Okay. Usually, uh, when we go through a trying time, uh, boy, it's, it's difficult. We're, we're God's children. We, we've trusted Christ as our Savior. You know what we usually do? We we cry out to God, don't we? And we expect that He hears us because the Bible teaches us in Psalm 23, that yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. We understand that God is with us in the valleys. Amen? Aren't you glad of that? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the Bible says, according to the book of Hebrews that I have access to the throne room of God and I can come boldly to the throne of grace and at any moment I have access to God. I don't have to wait till a certain time to talk to Him. I don't have to go and make an appointment with somebody else to be an intermediary for me to talk to my God. I have direct access with Him because He goes with me everywhere I go. And we understand that and we hold to that and that's a great comfort to us in the valleys. But for some reason, it just leaves our mind when we enter into temptation, as if God is not there, as if God does not see. Joseph understood this. You know, he wasn't worried about the the approval of his master. Oh, he he, he wanted to maintain the trust, as we talked about in Sunday school, but but. What was important to Joseph was what did God think about him. And one thing that that tells us is that Joseph knew that every single thing that I do, whether it be good or whether it be evil, God sees it. Can I tell you, that will help us deal with temptation a whole lot easier if we can understand that truth. And, And if we're prone to forget that or prone to put that out of our minds during times of temptation... Let me help you with something. Let's ask God to bring it to mind. You know, there's been times I've had a temptation come before me and, and, and there's a contemplation about it. Should I do? Should I not? The battles going on, the warring between the flesh and the Spirit and a verse of Scripture will pop in mind and it distracts me for the next few moments. And it says, you know what? I, I don't have to deal with that. By the way, the Word of God has that cleansing effect, doesn't it? It's kind of hard to succumb to temptation when we are consumed by the Word of God. And by the way, a Christian ought to be saturated. Hey, you know, let me use that word. Can I use that word this morning? We need to be saturated with the Word of God. You know what a lot of us do.'m um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a pretty good sized fellow, okay. Uh, I weigh three hundred pounds. And uh, there are times I go on diets. I cannot stand to be hungry. There was a time when I was in college that I was hungry all the time, didn't get enough to eat, didn't have enough money to eat, and didn't eat regular. And I told, I told the Lord, I promised myself, I said, Lord, if I ever get to where I have any kind of money at all, I will never be hungry again. And you can tell I've made good on that promise. Okay? I don't like being hungry. It bothers me to death. I've tried diets. And uh, some of these diets, they've got to be kidding they give you a candy bar. They put it in a, in a package like this, and you pull it out, and it's like this. And they say, that's a meal. I call that a snack. In fact, I don't even really call it a snack. I call it a breath mint. I mean, it's like down the hatch pretty quick like that. But, you know, there are a lot of people who, when they're trying to lose weight, they're trying to shrink, they're trying to just roll up, they'll eat small portions, and they're still hungry. You know what a lot of Christians do, spiritually speaking, when it comes to God's Word, we think we've done God this great favor by spending five minutes reading His Word today. And all we got was a nibble. We really haven't even had time for that verse to even sink into our hearts and our minds yet. Where is the feasting on God's Word? When I was was younger, there was a... Well... When I was older, there was golden corral. We used to call it the feeding trough. Man, oh man, when it opened up in town, I had great metabolism back then. I could burn it off as fast as I ate it. And it was not unusual for me to eat four, five, six plates and come out of that place just miserable. You ever been that way? You ever eat so much you're miserable? That was saturated with that food. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful? Not that we want to be miserable with God's Word, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we were full? Of God's Word. Because we had feasted on it. By the way, he lays it right out there in the in in buffet for us. We can have all of it that we want at any time. It, it, somebody has told me, I've never taken a cruise yet. I'd love in my lifetime at some point to take a cruise to, to uh, Alaska. I'd love to see the Alaskan landscape. And I want to do it in a cruise. And the reason why, here's my reasoning. Because I have heard that on a cruise, you can eat 24 hours a day. And it's free. And, and, and that's it. Man, talk about heaven. I mean, watching the Alaskan landscape go by and eating all the time. How can you get any better than that? And I say all that in jest, but you know the truth is, as God's children, we have a buffet of God's Word that we can come to any time we want. And it has a cleansing effect. On our lives. The more we are saturated with it, the less we are bothered by temptation. The more prone we are during those moments of temptation to have something called to mind. Years ago, in fact, in the book of Daniel, uh, you'll find that the children of Israel over, over and over again in the Old Testament, they were brought under God's hand of judgment. And many times God would use other countries' To bring judgment uh, on them, and God used Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, in fact, three different times, Nebuchadnezzar comes and he sacks uh, Jerusalem. He he's, he puts a siege around it. And wh- what a siege is is uh, the tactics of warfare years ago were that they would they would uh, come around uh, the city and they would they would put their armies around and they wouldn't even have to lift a sword. They would come with just, just outside of range of the weapons of the city and they would just sit there and they would wait and they would cut them off from all of their resources. Water couldn't come in and out. Food couldn't go in and out. And it wasn't long before he, it starved them to death and the city would surrender. When it comes to our sin nature, we need to set siege to it and cut it off from its supply. We need to understand that, that we're going to put some protection around our life, and one of the great hedges that we're going to use is God's presence. And it's going to cut off the flow of things. It's amazing to me how many Christians say, well, boy, I just I keep going back to the same thing. I can't get victory over this sin. Because we keep feeding the supply line for it. Cut it off. Use God's presence. Use God's word. Use a spiritually defined conscience. And uh, the the things that we find from Joseph's life here uh, regarding how to deal with temptation, I think, will be a help and a blessing to us if we can ever learn them. Deal with our past sin. Don't let sin grow. Don't let it get more and more and more without dealing with it. By the way, I I think that's probably one of the most deficient areas in many Christians' lives. For some reason, we like to just press on from whatever sin we've done and we don't go back and deal with it. We need to deal with sin. We need to have our hearts stirred to the exceeding wickedness of sin. And we need to live in constant awareness of God's presence. I'm going, to use, I'm going to leave you with one verse, if you will. I wasn't going to do it, but let's do this. Go to Galatians chapter number 5. I'm just going to leave you with the verse and then we'll, we'll be done. Galatians chapter number 5. Verse number 12, Paul says, I would, they were even cut off which trouble you. In other words, I wish there wasn't any problems. But for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. We need to cut off the occasion to the flesh. We need to make sure that we are not feeding that area of our life. And I hope that will be a help to you. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. Lord, so many valuable, valuable things we can learn from the life of Joseph. We're thankful that You've included it in Your Scriptures. That You teach us these things. Lord, that we would deal with our past sin. That we would understand and, and keep revived in our hearts and our minds the exceeding wickedness of sin. And Lord, may we always leave, live with The conscious thought of your daily presence with us everywhere that we go. And then, Lord, when we are frail and we are weak, we ask for your strength. We ask for your deliverance that you would help us in the areas that we are weakest in to have the strength to stand. Lord, we don't want to be shipwrecked, we don't want to be castaways. We don't want to have lives that are ruined because of sin. Lord, we want to have a life that is a shining example, that is a testimony, that is powerfully and mightily used by You to accomplish Your work in this world. Bless the message in the Sunday school hour that we've already had today that You would allow us to leave and take these truths with us in our hearts and our minds that we would not soon forget them. And Lord, use them to help us be more of what we ought to be for Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, and you're dismissed.